الحمد لله الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد قال الله تعالى في القرآن المجيد والفرقان الحميد الشيطان يعيدكم الفقر ويأمركم بالفحشاء وقال تعالى ويريد الشيطان أن يوقع بينكم العداوة والبغضاء في الخمر والميسر ويسدكم عن ذكر الله وعن الصلاة فهل أنتم منتهون وقال تعالى ويريد الشيطان أن يضلهم ضلالا بعيدا وقال تعالى إن الشيطان لكم إن الشيطان لكم عدو فاتخذوه عدوا وقال تعالى إنه عدو مضل مبين وقال تعالى إنما يدعو حزبه ليكونوا من أصحاب السعيد My dear brothers our wonderful brothers mashallah sitting with you on this Monday evening uh, feels really wonderful Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala I was just walking with a uh, a young man today he was about maybe 10-12 years old and we left the masjid and then as we left the masjid there were these two other children there and I said look this is uh, this is his name and this is his name uh, and I mentioned that and as we carried on he did not make salam to him so I said why didn't you make salam to him he says I don't know them I said, anybody who's a Muslim, you make salam to them. There's a hadith which says that a time will come when you'll only make salam to those who you know and you won't make salams to who you do not know. The salam is a dua. Uh, the salam is a dua. Assalamu alaikum, peace be upon you. Uh, which we say to people we know and we don't know. Our Muslims are all brothers and sisters around the world. So that's what we do. So alhamdulillah, we sing today. You could watch this lecture on YouTube if you wanted to, but it's not the same as sitting together. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bless everybody who's sitting here in this masjid uh, today and those who are listening elsewhere. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bring us closer and allow the community to benefit uh, from this, from these gatherings. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow these gatherings to continue. So the verses which I read of the Quran are just some of the verses that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in which Allah tells us about the shaitan. Shaitan is one of our biggest challenges in this world. Shaitan is one of our biggest challenges in this world and I want to speak about some of that and then leave it open to questions because I can't cover everything that might be in somebody's mind. So I'll cover what I, a few points that I have and then after that if there's any other relevant points that you would like to ask about, please bring it up and whatever we can answer, inshallah, we will try to answer that. Now the thing about shaitan in the modern world is that shaitan has been so successful in a sense that he's actually made himself out to be, I mean, he's already invisible. He's already invisible. But he's become such that there's actually people who deny the shaitan today. There's people who deny the shaitan and there's people who worship the shaitan. And then there's everybody in between. What I mean by deny the shaitan is that when in Europe, Christianity and Judaism, which were the religion of the continent. I mean, Christianity was the religion of the continent. But Jews had been here for a very long time until 
about 100 to 200, between 100 and 200 years ago, they were literally that Christianity was pushed out. Christians were not pushed out, but Christianity was pushed out. And what that meant that there was a whole indoctrination that took place. So people lost their faith. And this happened in multiple ways in the sense that you can't bring religion onto, into the media. You can't bring religion into the school anymore. You can't bring religion in the workplace. So that's why we as Muslims have a tough time doing that, about getting time to pray, getting, having a room to pray. Alhamdulillah, there's many good people out there. There's many uh, good companies out there that allow this and want to coexist in a, in a peaceful way and respect one another in humanity and religion and so on. There's still people who have that. But for the most part, it's been pushed out of this. So that's why Muslims have trouble doing this because Muslims don't keep their religion at the door. Right? We want to be Muslim wherever we are because we think that it benefits us. We think it benefits others. Me as a Muslim and at my workplace need to be a better person than anybody else because I'm a Muslim. That's what I'm supposed to be. People should look upon this individual who does do a few weird things. He gets caught with his foot in the sink sometimes because he's doing wudu. They don't know that. It's like, what is he doing? You know, um, nobody else washes their foot in the sink sometimes. And he goes out and he's sometimes uh, bowing down and we see him, we catch him in that side room sometimes. But you know what? He's such a good guy. I've never heard him backbiting anybody. You know what happens in corporate cultures? Everybody's trying to backbite somebody else and trying to get one over the other and uh, trying to do something or the other. It happens, unfortunately, in many, many places. But this guy, he never does that. He avoids those kinds of conversations. What makes him different? What makes him special? What is it? Right? So that's how Muslims should be, that people should get curious about why are you different in a positive way? Not why are you different in the way that you uh, skimp off work. You say you're going for prayer and instead of 10 minutes, you take 20 minutes. Instead of 45 minutes for Jumu'ah, you take off uh, one and a half hours. And then you say that I'm going to call you out for racism or I'm going to call you out for Islamophobia. This is, this is wrong. This is not the way to get people to, uh, to love Islam. Now, shaitan has become so successful in many quarters that he's got some people to believe in him and to worship him. So they're called Satanists. Now, if you ask a Satanist and if you look at them, they, they have various different approaches to the way and what they think of a shaitan. Shaitan is supposed to be misleading everybody. But they say, no, shaitan and satanism is actually a force for good. And they've just rephrased everything. They have different names for some of these things. And, and that's what they do. They get people confused because remember, within us, within human beings, every single hu human being, since Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created us, there is this natural desire to worship something. Natural desire, you don't have to call it worship. You can call it natural desire to glorify something to magnify something, to revere and respect and honor something. There's, it's built in every single human being. That's how humans are, that we like to respect something and honor something and consider something to be greater than us. Right? If it's not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, something else will take its place. Whether that is another uh, so-called made-up God, a deity, object of worship, whether it's a mountain for some people, whether it's the ocean for an, uh, another group of people, whether it's a large tree for some people in certain countries, or whether it's another individual, 
or whether it's money. Something has to be your main pursuit of life. Because humans have pursuit in life. Why? Because we have limited lives. We would be very, very different. A lot of people are trying to find uh, a cure for death. How to live long. Some of the owners of the biggest com companies in the world, they've got a lot of disposable income, a lot of extra cash. They've, their companies are worth millions. They've sold those companies onto something else. They're sitting on millions. What do they do with this money? It's way more than what you need for your everyday and for the rest of your life. So they put it into longevity studies. How do humans live long? Then there was this whole, uh, whole articles are written on, is that even something humans want? Humans, if just imagine for yourself for a few seconds, if, just imagine that if there was no end of life for you, that, oh, we might die when we're 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, if you're lucky at 100, you know? Imagine there was no end. And you were going to live for the next five, six, seven hundred years or forever. What would life be then? It would change so many things that we do. It would change so many things that we do. The fact that we've got a limited life, that gives us pursuit. It gives us some competition. It gives us something about achieving something in a certain amount of time. There's so much philosophical perspective that's attached to this that we need to give it some thought. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the best of creators. And Allah has created us in this way. So now what happens is that we want something in this world. And if it's not Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then you're going to be worshipping something else. You don't have to call it worship. That's the confusing part here. You don't have to call it worship anymore. You know, people that are just purely after money, they go to sleep thinking about their stocks and shares and their various different holdings and the various different commodities and now cryptocurrencies and and so on and the first thing they wake up with in the morning right is to look at these things it's a gambling mindset that a lot of people have right and if they don't have that if they're not so obsessed but they're still obsessed it's all about money where you're willing to miss your prayers you're willing to do a lot of other things that's shaitan that's all shaitaniyat based on the dunya the love of the world that shaitan knows that we have Shaitan knows more about every one of us than our parents. Why? Because every human being, every mu'min, every believer and non-believer, when they're created, when, they, when they're born, there's a shaitan that's actually attached to them. It's a hadith of Muslim that every child that's born, there's a special shaitan that is attached to them. That shaitan is responsible for every single individual alone, one individual alone. Uh, there's not like a shaitan for everybody from Hobigonj or one shaitan for people from Roseville, which is Gulafgonj, right? Or from Jaga or one for Jagannathpur. Everybody from Jagannath, there's one, or these two shaitans are for them, right? Or one for the whole of Dhaka and one for the whole of Silat, or one for the Khans and one for the Uddins and one for the Chaudhrys. It's not like that. It's one per person. One for the father, one for the mother, one for the, each of the ch children. And that shaitan has been with us since birth. He knows exactly where we're weak. So he tries to give us some whispers. Shaitan doesn't have to force us to do anything. Shaitan never grabs your hand and says, do this. All shaitan has to do, he knows what our weaknesses are. When I see that sweet or that drink or that person, 
then I know that I usually argue with that person. Or I talk about haram things with that person. Or if I see this, then I'll buy this and commit something haram. So shaitan just reminds you of the pleasures of that thing. The mobile phone is such that it is very, 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 very difficult for anybody, even religious people, to avoid. If you've got a, st- a smartphone, it's very difficult for even religious people to avoid completely keeping it halal. It could be one story, you see something, and then you, the curiosity, the shaitan's prompting, and then you go on to something else, and something else, and something else, and you eventually end up in haram. It is very difficult. Like... You know, I don't want to ask here, but it is very, very difficult if there's anybody with a smartphone who uses it that can avoid anything haram. It just appears, or when it appears, then we just go from one thing to another. That's why shaitan has become seemingly difficult. So one group were the satanists who actually have nothing else to believe in, so they've taken shaitan and they call him different names uh, as, as the god. And then you've got others who deny shaitan. They're, they're following shaitan, but they don't know that. I, I've, I was once in a lecture in America at, uh, I think it was at a university or some other program. And I had to talk about Islam. And I talked about, there were a number of people sitting there. And as soon as I started talking about Satan, a few people got up and walked away. They thought, this guy must be crazy. He's talking about Satan. Satan is an old-fashioned idea that the Christians used to believe in 300 years ago. We've had enlightenment since then, right? We've had modernity since then. You know, we, we've, we, we're living in modern time with technology. Right? We're living in modern time with, you know, this massive new industries and technology and advancements and everything. How can you still believe in shaitan? As though shaitan has got nothing to do with this. So they just walked out. I was told that later why they walked out. So this guy must be crazy talking about shaitan. So God and shaitan is out of the picture. And then the others take shaitan as God. And then there's everybody else in between who knows as a belief that shaitan is a problem. But we don't recognize shaitan enough to know what the problem is all the time. Big things we know but we forget, we don't remember. We're not supposed to do a dhikr of shaitan, we're supposed to do a dhikr of Allah and that will protect us from the shaitan. That's the wonderful thing. How do you remember about shaitan all the time unless you remember him? Remembrance is called dhikr. It's a really strange idea here. Right? When you remember something in Arabic, it's called dhikr. The dhikr is remembrance. The only way to avoid shaitan, people might think, is to remember that shaitan could deceive me this way and deceive me that way. But you don't want to be remembering shaitan like that. I'd rather remember Allah. And that's what Allah has made it. Allah, there's a hadith which makes it very clear and this is what's uh, alluded to in the Quran as well that shaitan is al-waswas al-khannas. Waswas is the whisperer. He constantly will whisper and make us do things. I told you how, right? And uh, al-khannas is the one who retreats though. Why is he talking about retreat? Because whenever we remember Allah, shaitan goes away. That's why Allah If he didn't tell us that, I think this would be very depressing. That's why while I say shaitan is very seemingly very powerful the way people have made him, people can make shaitan very powerful because then people help him. People become shayateen and ins, the human associates of the shaitan. And they prompt other people. And it's more difficult to avoid that than the 
prompting of shaitan. Because when you say, A'udhu billahi minash-shaytanir rajeem, la ilaha illallah, astaghfirullah, or we start salat, the shaitan is supposed to disappear. However, if, you, if we have people around us, bad friends, especially bad friends, bad influence, that is the worst thing that anybody can have. If you want to become good and you've got bad influence around you, I feel sorry for you. Unless you're the one who has now become a leader and going to change them. Otherwise, most people are followers. There is no way you can change unless you shift from that. The hadith tell us this. You know, the, I don't want need to repeat the story, but you know the hadith about the guy who killed 999 people? You know that story, right? You know that story as well, my little brother? Yeah? So I don't need to repeat it. So what did the scholar tell him later? The, the first person he went to told him, no, no, you don't have much to go by. You can't really gain forgiveness or whatever. So he killed him, made 100 people, right? Then he went to a scholar. The scholar knew Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. What did he tell him? You need to leave the area. You need to leave your company. Company is one of the words. Now what happens if your whole family is like this? The toughest things that people, the toughest questions people bring to me is that, I'm trying to keep my children solid and, and on the right path. But my, their cousins, my brothers and sisters, their children, they're not very religious and they're very bad influence on them. How do I deal with that? I don't have an answer to that one. Right? Slowly, slowly, because you can't cut off from your relatives. That's your blood. You can't cut off. We have to have responsibility towards our relatives. We just do our best. We have a discussion. We try to invite them to our house instead so that, you know, we can lay down our ground, ground rules when they see the benefit of this, inshallah. Then inshallah, that will change. So these are some of the ideas that we have. Otherwise, company is one of the worst things that keep us wrong. There are so many people who want to change. They want to start covering. They want to start praying. But the people around them will start making fun of them. The company is very, very toxic sometimes. You want to make a change, you need to be able to slowly, nicely come out of that company and start making a difference and become stronger in yourself because you're doing it for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So now shaitan has made himself such that he's misleading people, but they don't even know. They deny the shaitan. They walk out of lectures that are about the shaitan because they think this guy's crazy, he doesn't know what he's speaking about. Now, how much is this? Shaitan doesn't care whether you know him or not. As long as he can sit in the path of Allah. That's what Shaitan said. When Shaitan was rejected, when he, when he decided not to bow in front of Adam salam, And what a logic he used. You know the Lord, I don't need to repeat this story. Everybody must know this story already that Shaitan was told to prostrate in front of Adam salam. Allah had created him. What did Shaitan say? How can I prostrate? I'm made of fire. And he, uh, the, the human being is made of soil. Soil is lower than fire. Now tell me, where did that logic come from? Now imagine if you want to compare anybody here, right? All of us. If we want to compare soil and fire, how many comparisons we can make? Is that the only comparison that soil is usually on the ground and fire usually rises up the flames? Is that the only comparison you can see? What about the comparison that fire is indiscriminately violent and a destroyer? Mud doesn't destroy anything. Mud is refreshing. Mud provides life. The soil provides life. 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala speaks about the rain when it comes and mashallah, the earth becomes fertile. The earth becomes fertile. Could you not think of that? That the earth creates lots of vegetation, lots of food and provides a place for us to walk on. The fire is what burns. Yes, fire does cook our food as well. But fire burns indiscriminately. It's very difficult to control fire. So, oh, there's much more of mud than fire on the, well, at least on the surface of the earth, unless you get to the core of the earth. Lots of comparisons you can make. Why did he think of that comparison? Can you see the deception here? So deceived that he thinks of the thing which is going to mislead him. That's going to make him feel superior, so he becomes arrogant. Could have thought of so many things, right? Now, that's what I don't understand, that if I'm born in a certain village, or from a certain family that come from a certain village, how can I show off with that? Did I choose to be in that family? Did I choose to be from whichever village you're from? Did you choose to be from there? You asked Allah and yes, Allah, no. So how can you show off? How can you then look down upon somebody from somewhere else? Why would you do that? Because other people from your village probably do that. So then you think you need to do that. But why? Did you choose that or did Allah choose that? Wouldn't it have been so simple for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to make us born from that other village or from that other place? So where does this racism come from, for example? Where does that come from? If Allah has made me a certain complexion, a certain height, I didn't ask for that. Right? You know, say, well, you know, if Allah made me a certain way, that's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These are things that we can't show off by. <coughs> These are the various ways that shaitan tries to find the smallest things to try to cause a problem between them. And one of our biggest issues throughout our history has been that shaitan has caused differences to appear among Muslims. And you make... Uh, you, you create differences among Muslims and you will see that they will cause you problems. That, that they, the, the Muslims will become weaker, will become weaker. So now let's look at certain, you know, our, our children are there. So let's look at certain deceptions of the shaitan. MashaAllah, there's some people who are practicing a bit, but that's they've stopped. They've decided that this is all I can do. I can't do anymore because I live in England or because I'm in a certain vocation. I'll give you an example. I, went, uh, I was in Los Angeles. Right? And I went to... Uh, somebody told me that there was an Islamic bookstore. Right? That somebody was Islamic books. So it was a few doors down from the halal meat store. And apparently then later I found out it was owned by the same person. So I went into the store and actually it was not an Islamic bookstore. It was actually... Uh, this was about 20 years ago. 15-20 uh, years ago. So this is a time when... Uh, you went to the store to hire movies, hire, hire films, Indian films, Bollywood stuff, right? So it was actually a shop that was for video rentals. And they had a small shelf there, one or two shelves, where they had some Islamic books in the middle of all of that. This brother was from a Muslim, uh, was from a Muslim uh, country as an immigrant, not born in America, he's from a Muslim country. He spoke with an accent. Okay, so I was shocked, but okay, okay, maybe it's a video store, but he is trying to put some Islam in there. Okay, alhamdulillah. But then what shocked me more was that on the desk, he had some Diwali cards. Diwali cards, this is a Hindu uh, celebration. 
and the Diwali cards had Hindu gods pictures on there. Now this is what uh, shocked me the most because you're doing this for money obviously. You're a Muslim, you're concerned, so that's why you put some Islamic books there and this is just pure business. But then why do you have to sell uh, things that have the gods of other religions? That can't be permissible, right? That is not permissible. They can worship their lords, that's up to them, but we consider this to be shirk and to uh, one of the worst things that you can do, which is to uh, cause somebody, uh, call somebody a partner to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So I said, brother, why do you have to sell this? Now he must have looked at me dressed the way I am and uh, immediately he said uh, if you don't do this kind of stuff you can't survive in this country. He said it with an accent. Okay. And I'm just like I was born in this country and we don't have to do this and mashallah we can still live, live a decent life. You don't have to sell haram to be able to uh, you know to have to justify yourself in this country. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give everybody tawfiq and guidance. But you see this justification that because we're in this country, because we need to make some money, you make it by hook or crook. Whether you have to, you know, bring some shirki items in there or whatever, no problem. That's a justification. He was very angry. It wasn't like, oh yeah, brother, I shouldn't be doing this. You know, he could have said, you know, yes, you're right. I shouldn't be doing this. He could have said that. But he said, no, it was an argument. Justification. There's another guy, he works uh, in a company, he works in a company that has something to do with the, it's a beer company or somebody that supplies something to do with alcohol. So he works in that company, so I said, brother, how can you work for this company? He said, well, at least I'm not working for a bank. There's another guy who's working for a bank and he's like, brother, you know, the haram income. I said, well, at least I'm not working for a liquor company. These are comparative Issues that, okay, well, I'm maybe better, you know, than the other, because at least I'm not working for the worst one. There's some people, because they're friends, again, company, their friends, their workmates or whatever are going to a pub or a bar. Well, I'm going to go and I'm going to just have Coke, as though Coke is wonderful or something, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just have orange juice. The environment is a problem. There's a lot of people, there's a lot, unfortunately, who started that way. And because then the taboo was... Uh, weakened and eventually it was not a problem to start try and have a drink and drinking it's a haram just like many other harams but one of the things about drinking because it's so bad as Allah, one of the verses that I mentioned before uh, that the shaitan once uses liquor if you look at a lot of the corruption out there uh, alcohol is used to, for zina, for so many different things. Right? With alcohol, then that paves the road for so many things. And the ulama writes about alcohol in specific, that it's such a bad thing that you may be a Muslim praying, etc. But if you have alcohol on your deathbed, you're, you're very likely, Allah protect, very likely to be deprived of saying La ilaha illallah. We want to say La ilaha illallah before we die. We want to say La ilaha illallah before we die. The first words, see, that is the reason why. Let me mention to you the hadith. We have this tradition that when children are born, when the infant is born, what do we say as first? We insist that the first words into the ears of this child is Allahu Akbar. Adhan and then Iqam. 
adhan in the right ear, iqama in the, in the left ear. Now, unfortunately, there's some people who think this is some kind of bid'ah or something. They think it's just a culture, maybe an Indian culture or Pakistani or Bangladeshi culture or something. So, let me provide to you the hadith which is about this. The ulama have considered this to be mustahab. It's not wajib. It's not obligatory. It's not like the child will be some kind of major deviant if you don't say Allahu Akbar. But we do want to get the first words to be Allahu Akbar. So they come into this world with Allah's name because the shaitan is there ready to start the prompting. Right? The shaitan is ready there to start and he does try to prompt. We want to say Allahu Akbar. So now there's a hadith that's related by Imam Abu Dawood, Imam Tirmidhi as well. They've, uh, Imam Tirmidhi has called it Hada Hadithun Sahihun. Imam Bayhaqi has also transmitted it. Imam Hakim has also transmitted it and considered it to be Sahih as well. From Abu Rafi' radiallahu anhu, that I saw the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he called the Adhan in the ear of Hassan radiallahu an when Fatima radiallahu an, an, anha gave birth to Hassan radiallahu an. So this one speaks about the Adhan. How can it be a bid'ah? It's then related, another hadith is related by Imam Bayhaqi and Ibn Sunni from Hassan ibn Ali radiallahu anhu, the same Hassan radiallahu anhu, he relates this when he grows up. He says, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam had said that anybody who has a child, who a child is born for, then he should give adhan, he should call the adhan in the right ear and he should call the iqama in the left ear. And based on that, a number of things will be lifted from him, a number of effects, bad effects will be lifted on him. And there's a number of other narrations to that effect. That's why we do it. It's not just the culture. Although the significant of it is that Allah's name is reminded to the child. And the barakah of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is there so that the shaitan can't effect. That's why one of the biggest swears in many Muslim cultures is that you're harami. And what that means, harami means that your parents did not say the kalima, say a dua when, when they were together. Uh, that's all I need to say. May Allah protect us from that. Right? Thus, we see the benefit of the name of Allah that in our cultures, in many Muslim cultures, anybody who uh, is, uh, they want to accuse of something bad, they say that you, your parents did not say Bismillah, that's why you're so bad. Can you imagine the power of the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the dua? That's why this needs to be there. So there's, going back to the deceptions of, uh, of the shaitan, I've got a few minutes left and then we have your questions. So justification. I, I am in this vocation. I, uh, we need Muslims in this vocation, so it's okay to do haram. Some people even say that. We need Muslims in this field. So it's okay for me to give up on some of my Islamic, uh, uh, Islamic obligations. You know, because... They maybe they're not letting you pray or something. No, but we need to be in this vocation because Muslims need to become stronger. Another one. If I don't say that so-and-so policy is correct or so-and-so movement is valid, then I won't be able to become the politician or the minister or the MP or the councillor or something like that. It's a very difficult place to be. It's kind of strange because we actually need people in these positions. But then if somebody's already sold themselves out already, what do you expect them to do in that position? 
MashaAllah, we have lots of Muslims in parliament. Unfortunately, many of them are just career politicians. They're not doing anything for Muslims. It just gives a good look for outside that, MashaAllah, London has a, a Muslim mayor and Scotland has, you know, MashaAllah, may, may Allah give them tawfiq to do things for the Muslims as well, right? And if there's anybody sitting here, we would encourage you to do things in the right way because we need this, right? We need this in the right way. It's difficult though. It is difficult to be, uh, to, 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 to be clear and not fall because shaitan will try at every, every step to try to mislead us. So justification of these things. Justification of these things. Some people, a lot of people flirt around with colleagues. Men do this and their wives are getting really paranoid. And then the, the husband will say, I know my boundaries. This is just some innocent banter with my colleagues at work. I mean, so many marriages are broken because of this or breaking because of this. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. Oh, I know my thing. It's, at least it's not zina. I'm not committing zina. Like until I don't commit the full act, then it's okay. You know? If it's not the full act, then it's okay. Oh, it's just a few spliffs. It's nothing serious. Everything starts because shaitan has footsteps. Don't follow the footsteps of shaitan. Shaitan will never make you do something haram, big haram, immediately. It'll be slow, slow, and slowly. And then it will happen. Same thing happens with cheating at work. Same thing happens with unfairness in a business. Same thing happens when it comes to... Shaitan just makes a person feel they're correct. They're not even willing to go and ask somebody else. There are so many husband and wife relationships which are on the rocks. And when you say, why can't you tell the father? Why can't you tell? He, he or she listens to nobody. When you talk to the husband or the wife, whichever one is the narcissistic problem, or the narcissist, then they justify it. Shaitan makes it so justified that we don't even think it's wrong. That's why usually, think about it, if somebody criticizes me, right? And... If you do any work, you're going to be criticized. Because there's always somebody who likes it. If I reject all my criticism, then that's very wrong from me. Because there must be something that... Because people are looking that, okay, this guy is a speaker. This guy goes around speaking. So they're going to be looking for something. And I'm not a, I'm not a prophet. So I make mistakes. Right? So they might notice something and then they criticize me. Now, if I reject every single criticism, yes, many I can reject because some people just make up big things for nothing. However, it can't all be, you know, there, must be, there might be something, right? So I need to think about it. Is it right or not? It might be wrong, but it might be a misunderstanding of some sort. It could be multiple things. That's why husband and wives, they need to do this more than anybody else. If you have a problem with your spouse, that she is always complaining about you, come on, some of that must be right. Can't all of you wrong. Okay, you know, maybe she's very nagging, nagging, nagging. But it must be something that's right, right? Or is it 100% wrong? How do you prove it that it's 100% wrong? Shaitan is so misled. And look how much shaitan is misled. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells him that, okay, because of this silly argument, this silly logic you used about fire being higher, I'm going to reject you because you've opposed my command. Because of silly logic. So then shaitan says, Okay, if you're going to do that, فَبِمَا أَغْوَيْتَنِي Because you have misled me, uh, sorry, because you have 
cause me to be deviant. I'm gonna, and he asked Allah that, give me some ability over them. So Allah says, okay, fine. I'm, because it was part of Allah's plan. Anyway, I'm gonna give you some power over uh, to mislead, you know, to, to not mislead, but to give wrong ideas. Then Shaitan says, I'm gonna sit. I'm gonna sit on your straight path. He knows the path is straight. He knows the path of Allah is straight, but he's still saying that I'm so messed up now, I'm going to sit on your straight path. Then I'm going to come to them from all directions. I'm going to come from the front, from the back, uh, from the side, left, right, side, side, ups, every direction, I think, except the bottom direction. I'm going to come to them from all directions in a way you won't even notice. In a way that you won't even notice. That's why I said shaitan is so invisible. That some people don't even believe in him. It's a good job that we have been told by the Quran about shaitan. Otherwise we would not believe in shaitan as well. Right? So, And you're not going to find the majority of them to be thankful. And you might be saying that, look, I might do some disobedience, but I'm thankful to Allah. That's not being thankful. That's just like being thankful because Allah has given you so many good things. Thankful of Allah is to use everything in the right way. So if we're using our body, our tongue, our eyes in the wrong way, we're not being thankful to Allah because we're misusing it. That's not really being thankful. That is being ungrateful. We just don't think about it that way. That's why. We don't think about it that way. That's shaitan for us. He's so invid. I'll give you one, one more story. Once the Prophet ﷺ went out for a walk, at night time with his wife Safiya bintu Hayy radiyallahu anha he went for a walk now in those days there's not that many lights outside and everything and people didn't really walk around at night as much two sahaba two or three sahaba I think it was two sahaba they saw the brother in the distance walking with his wife so what they did was they quickly hurried up to go away and this is what the brother said ala rislikuma wait Innaha Safiya to bintu Huyay. She's Safiya bintu Huyay. They said, Ya, ya Rasulullah, you know, we, we didn't think of anything bad. He said, That's not the point. Inna shaitan fil insani majraddam. The shaitan courses through the human body just like your blood does. Like, can you tell your blood is running through unless you've got a high blood pressure? Can you tell the blood is going through your body? Unless you cut yourself in it. You see it or you've got high blood pressure and you see it pumping your heart. No, you don't. That's shaitan. Shaitan does the same thing. We don't know what he's doing unless we're aware. The only way to be aware is knowledge and dhikr of Allah. Knowledge will tell us that this is right, this is wrong. Otherwise, shaitan misleads us with misunderstanding. The wrong logic, fire rise higher. I'm superior to you because I'm from this area. Right? I live in this part of East London which makes me superior to this part, or I drive this car or that car, or I'm always right because I'm the husband, or that I'm just a really cool guy and I can never be wrong. Right? And you're always wrong because, you know, you're always nagging. Your whole family is like that. People just justify. This is what shaitan does, so you don't even know. This is the problem with shaitan. So the only way is to learn more and to dhikr. Dhikr will soften the heart. When a person softens the heart, they start bringing Allah into their life a lot more. So then they start actually worrying about what's right and wrong, genuinely. Otherwise, when you have no genuine worry about something, we just think we're right. 
Until I don't get a genuine worry that I want to be proper. I want to be correct in the sight of Allah. I can't become right. How do you do that? And remember, I can't be 100%. Nobody can be 100% right. We're human beings, we make mistakes. Only prophets are divinely guided to be right all the time. Is there anybody here who's right all the time, by the way? That never, no, there may be. I mean, you're not, but come on, like, why are you speaking for others for? Is there anybody here who's, mashallah, always right in whatever they say, their arguments with their wife at work, whatever? Mashallah, they're always right. They're really savvy, they always achieve everything. Mashallah, come on, I'm looking for somebody. Huh? Anybody? No? Come on. At least one person in uh, Coventry Cross. No? Allahu Akbar. Seriously, there are people who think like that. Right? You know, we can be wrong. Only if you're a professional at something are you mostly going to be right. Like if you're very experienced, you're a mechanic. And I'm not a mechanic, I'm arguing with you, right? Most likely you're going to be right. Most likely. But even then, you could still get it wrong. Right? We can still get it wrong. But the, the rest of us, casual, you know, about cars, we're probably going to be right or wrong. You know, we've read a few articles, we've maybe had a few cars in our life, so we think we're right. So let me stop here by asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to protect us with knowledge. Read more, learn more, and the best way to read and learn and soften the heart is read the Quran with meaning. Then you understand what Allah really wants from us. And then He tells us all the ploys of the shaitan in the Quran. And having some dhikr, having some dhikr that we do. La ilaha illallah is very, very powerful. At least a hundred times in the morning, hundred times in the evening. You will see that that softens the heart. Then we feel much more calmer. We don't have to be right all the time. We don't have to feel arrogant. It will, inshallah, lessen all of these uh, issues for us. And otherwise, we, we as a, as a ummah is suffering. You know, the ummah is suffering because of us. We are the ummah. So if we, inshallah, can become better people and we can be wrong sometimes in our life and try to make it better for ourselves, inshallah, people around us will be better. Our families will become better. Our children will have a more stable homes. Our community and our masajid will do much, much better because we're not just after positions or whatever for the wrong reason. Right? And we can be protected from the shaitan. And shaitan can be a failure, inshallah, for us because in the case shaitan that the plotting of the shaitan is actually weak. That's what Allah said because you say, A'udhu Billah and he's gone. So why is it sometimes we say, we start salat and we're still thinking of the sin? I think I have to clarify that is because it's no longer the shaitan. If you say, or you start salat and you still feel like doing a sin, that sin, that sin prompting is not from the shaitan anymore. Where is it from? It's from our nafs. It's a habit. You will never feel like doing a sin if you say, you never feel like doing a new sin if you say, if you do feel like you say, it'll go away. The only, re the only sins that will push you, push you to do it, even though you take in the name of Allah, you might be doing sujood, is those we are already habituated to. They've become part of our nafs, their addictions. That's the nicotine, which is the shaitan. Shaitan is like a nicotine. That's what's giving us that. So we need to then work on that. And uh, may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. So brothers, mashallah, nice to be with you. What are, where are our questions?
I think the question maybe, if I repeat it, is when is a trial or something that happens to us, when is it a punishment? Is that what you're asking? So now look, if we are suffering some kind of difficulty, car breaks down, there's a leak in the house, something happened health-wise or whatever, things are always going wrong. Is that a punishment? The way we react will determine usually what that is. So if we react by thinking, you know what, I know why this is, I did this bad the other day. I said something bad to this person. I was really rude or I messed around. I did this wrong. A'udhu billah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah, astaghfirullah. Then this is, this trial is for purification, to purify us. On the other hand, if something happens and I start complaining, why all is this happens to me? Why can't it happen to someone else? Does Allah only find me? What kind of thing is this? And then some people go in beyond that, right? Then that is a punishment. That's definitely a punishment. Third option, I'm not complaining. I'm reflecting, but I can't think of a sin that I committed because <coughs> I've been very careful, you know. Then I must realize that this is just Allah wanting to push me up and raise my level. Because I'm not doing enough good deeds to raise me to the level Allah wants me to be. He's giving me difficulty so that the fastest way to raise your level is through sabr, through patience. The Prophet ﷺ, look how much pain he went through towards the end of his life. And he was very calm about it. He told Fatima, don't worry, this is the final ends and then there'll be la karba ala abik ba'da hadhal yawm. There's going to be no pain on your father after this day. So a lot of people think, why did was Allah, uh, Allah, why did was the Prophet put through this? Of course, to teach the ummah, also to raise his status even further. Sabr is one of the highest, uh, one of the most effective ways of raising the status because it's not easy to do all the time. So a person just recognize, you know what? This is what Allah wants from me. I'm going to submit to it. Allah, you sort it out for me. Yes, brothers, you got a question for me? If you have a non-practicing friend, now some people are kind of neutral and you don't admire their bad habits. If you don't admire their bad habit and you can benefit them slowly, then that's fine. The problem comes when you see friendship is such that if somebody wants to do something, a friend wants to do something, you're going to be, you're obliged to follow. Otherwise, you're like, you don't always come with me. You don't do this. You understand? Once I went on a very long road trip with three other people right, through African countries. And all the other three people, they're wonderful people, but they never prayed. Or they weren't really interested in prayer. Can you see how difficult it is for me individually to stop in weird places to do wudu and pray where we're trying to get through borders on time and they don't want to pray? You see how difficult that is? Now, if everybody wanted to pray, then I wouldn't have had to worry too much because if I'm asleep sometimes, somebody else is going to say, hey, let's pray salat. So, if you, most people are followers, that's the problem. Most people are followers. They're not leaders. They don't influence others. They're influenced by others or they're neutral. They just don't. So it just depends on how bad that is. You have to have good friends. You can't rely on yourself to be the good one always. You have to have good friends as well. So, you know, this person, I mean, if they're not harming you, it's fine to be with them as long as you're giving them. And you have to be bold enough to be able and confident enough to uh, share things with them not force them but share things with them so that inshallah you can both become good so you could actually be an advantage here yes my brother
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises us simple thing that the Prophet also said is we do our best. We will commit sins because Allah has created us weak. And to show this, the Prophet said that Allah has said that if you don't sin, if you don't sin, Allah would take you away and bring people that would sin. Then, he would, then they would seek forgiveness and Allah would forgive them. Because Allah is named Ghafoor, Ghafir, uh, Ghaffar, Mughtafir. You know, there's a number of them, number of names that he has. That is in action. You can only do that if you sin. But you don't live to sin. Allah did not create you to sin. He just created us in a way that we can sin. And we have weaknesses. And he wants to forgive as well. So if we do end up committing a sin, we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala because he's promised he will never oppress anyone. Any small thing that you do to make something right, to do something right, Allah will reward you for it. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is not stingy. Allah gives bonus. Allah has given shafa'a and intercession to people. And he has promised, وَلَا يَظْلِمُ رَبُّكَ أَحَدًا That your Lord will never oppress anybody. If anybody's going to go to the hillfire in the hereafter, it's going to be because they will recognize that they did something wrong. They will recognize that. People go to prison here and they're innocent. There's a guy who came out of prison after I don't know how many years, found out to be innocent because of a proper DNA test that they did afterwards. right? But in the hereafter, nobody will be sent to hellfire because, uh, wrongly. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows perfectly. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promised that the Prophet said, Saddidu wa qaribu. You know, try to hit the mark. So do things in the right direction. Try to keep it as right as well. Have the knowledge and the remembrance of Allah to assist us. If we do off, if we do get off sometimes, just try to come back right. And وَأَبْشِرُوا the Prophet said, and then gain the glad tidings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala promises us multiple things in the hereafter. So, for example, shaitan tells us that this is really beautiful. This is really enjoyable. This is really pleasurable. How do you desist from that? You remember the promises of Allah in the hereafter. The promises of Allah, even in this world, we're going to give them that we will give you a excellent life in this world and in the hereafter. So there's a beautiful dua of the Prophet that a lot of people, they don't find satisfaction in the halal that they have. That means the halal spouse that they have. Because they're looking at a lot of others which they can't have of, uh, uh, legitimately. So they're, they're constantly the haram attraction is causing them their halal attraction to become dull. Or the halal money you're making, is it's easy so much to make haram money. So that's making you feel like this is not sufficient, even though it is. Allahumma kfini bi halalika an haramik wa aghnini bi fadlika amman siwak. Oh Allah, suffice me. Make me satisfied with the halal away from the haram. And make me independent of anybody but you. And Allah will do that. The thing about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that He has created us to know Him. Soon as anybody knows Allah and expresses that knowledge, Allah loves them. There's a guy in hellfire, a Muslim, who's being sinful. He's in the hellfire. He's being punished. After a certain punishment, he suddenly remembers something. He says, didn't Allah promise such and such? 
Allah immediately says, get this guy out because he knows me. Allah just wants us to know him. Shaitan is misleading us to... Shaitan wants us to forget Allah. So Allah wants us to know him. And when Allah has promised them Jannat, gardens beneath which rivers flow, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised that he will let you see him. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised us abodes that no eye has seen and no person has ever even imagined. These are the promises of Allah. So whenever we are being promised something in this world and it seems so attractive, just think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise that they're much, much better. He has created a paradise from a very long time ago. And even though nobody's gone in yet, Allah is embellishing this paradise every so often. Every so often. Can you imagine this paradise is such that you will come back on Friday after meeting Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your spouse will say to you that you look much better than when you left. And your spouse will look much better than when they had left. Every week, where's the end of that? How much more beauty can you do? You have all of these tutorials online to, you know, to beautify yourself. But at the end of the day, you know, it maxes out. Right? It finishes. To such a degree that once you, they finish with ideas and they take the hijab off. Now let's start without the hijab. Because a lot of the children are for women. So they do different hijab styles and different styles. Da, 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 da. And then eventually when they max out, because it's a limited world, then okay, let's start now without hijab. And the guys do crazy things as well. But in the hereafter, it's just infinite, infinite. But that is going to be given to those who keep uh, their connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and who believe in that wa'da. Otherwise, we don't believe. Otherwise, we don't believe properly. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us belief. Uh, the point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially for example the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials certificate, which you take 20 short modules and at the end of that inshallah you will have gotten the, the basics of uh, most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind, you can continue to leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. The point of a lecture is to encourage people to act, to get further, an inspiration, an encouragement, persuasion. The next step is to actually start learning seriously, to read books, to take on a subject of Islam and to understand all the subjects of Islam, at least at their basic level, so that we can become more aware of what our deen wants from us. Uh, and that's why we started uh, Rayyan courses, so that uh, you can actually take organized lectures uh, on demand whenever you have free time, especially, for example, the Islamic Essentials uh, course that we have on there, the Islamic Essentials certificate, which you take 20 short modules. And at the end of that, inshallah, you will have gotten the, the basics of 
most of the most important topics in Islam and you'll feel a lot more confident. You don't have to leave lectures behind. You can continue to, leave, uh, you know, to listen to lectures, but you need to have this more sustained study as well. Jazakallah khair and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.